Welcome to Beyond Blathers, the podcast where we dive deeper into the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. I'm Sophia Osborne. And I'm Olivia DeBercier. And if you want to support the show, please check out our merch store at beyondblathers.square.site and take a look at the animal stickers and postcards we have for sale. Okay, so this week we're going to be talking about ammonite fossils, which (laughs) I have to admit that I've learned about ammonites so many times in so many different classes, and I just have never actually really understood what they are. So I'm excited for this episode, and I'm hoping that maybe having you explain it will actually, like, drill it into my brain. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I've ever, like, formally learned about them. I'm sure I probably, like, read a museum panel somewhere, but that never stuck, so... (laughs) A lot of this was new to me, too. Yeah, okay, well, let's get into it then. Mm -hmm. So, if you bring an ammonite fossil to Blathers, he'll say, Ammonites were creatures that lived before and all the way through the age of dinosaurs. Because different species lived at different times, their shells are sometimes used as index fossils. In other words, these creatures act as markers in time, helping to identify the age of other formations. Who knows what other secrets lie hidden in those spiral shells? Hmm. Well, Blathers is totally right here, as he often is. I'm just impressed by the accuracy sometimes of this children's video game. (laughs) Like, (laughs) it's really good. Yeah, so they have a whole bunch of, like, ammonites have a bunch of features associated with them that make them great indicators for layer dates. So for paleontologists, it can be really helpful to date a fossil based on what is found around it. So you've got these layers of sediment in the ground. And if you find like a dinosaur bone, you could be like, hmm, when was this from? I don't know. And then you find an ammonite and you know how old that ammonite is. uh, So you can compare the two. So which is very helpful. But they have some features in their shells and stuff that help indicate what species they are, but I'll get into those a bit later. Overall, what we're talking about today are the extinct group of marine predators, the ammonoids, which are more commonly known as ammonites. So the reason I make that distinction is ammonoids are like the overarching group, and ammonites are the individuals in that group which are more spirally. (laughs) So people may have heard the word ammonite before and maybe they know exactly what it is or maybe they have no idea, but the word ammonite comes from the ancient Greek depictions of them being like a ram's horn. So they were named after the Egyptian god Ammon, who is often represented as a ram. So a little bit of history with the word. But if you've been to a museum, you've probably seen these before. They look a little bit like curly snail shells. And the ones I most often see on display are really big iridescent ones that have been cut in half so you can see the chambers inside. And often that iridescent sheen on the edge of them is found in ammonites from Alberta and Madagascar because the the way a lot of these fossils have been fossilized, they're under high pressure and high temperatures, and it turns that mineral into something called argonite. So it creates that beautiful iridescent sheen, kind of like oil on water. And sometimes they've also been fossilized in a way, they kind of look like geodes. They're really pretty. And if they're buried in clay, the original pearly coating of the shell might be preserved. So you can see those ones as well. So you can often buy these as jewelry with 
at markets or like at jewelry shops. I see them a lot of the time in the mountains here, like in touristy areas. And I really like them. I have a necklace that I bought from a market in Spain. That's a that's an ammonite and it's like my favorite thing to wear. But they're really, really common. So that's probably why you see them so often in jewelry stores is they aren't like rare fossils particularly. So, but a fun fact they're one of three gemstones produced by living things. Sophia, can you guess the other two? Um, y- y- maybe. What is that called? A- amber. Yeah, amber's one. And um, <laughs> I'm literally <laughs> thinking like coal or something. <laughs> like, uh, I feel but like... that's not really a gemstone. But I see, I see where you're going there. But yeah, think of something more like is it luxurious, like onyx or something? Like, um, is that no. is that like cool? I I don't know. I have never taken a geology class in my life. Fun fact: uh, <laughs> <really>. <laughs> I know very little about stones um, as it happens. So, so you don't know the other two? No, I do know the other one. I was just gonna give you a second. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, oh uh, no. I don't know. Like, I can think of lots of, like, stones and stuff, like, you know, limestone or that kind of thing. But, I mean, yeah. that's not really, like, a gemstone. So I give up on the second one. <laughs> okay, the third one is pearl. Oh, of course. <laughs> I know. I was like, that one to me oh. is, like, kind of the, the more obvious one. Amber, I wouldn't even – I don't think that would have occurred to me. But, yeah, it's produced by tree sap. So, anyway. So, ammonite, amber, and pearl, although – I think it's called like amylite when it's a gemstone. I don't know. Anyway, that's besides the point, And I didn't do research on that. So probably whatever. But yeah, getting back to the ammonite or the ammonoids, as we're going to call them. It's important to mention right off the bat that these weren't snails. They weren't crustaceans. They were cephalopods. My favorite group. I love this group so much. Those are animals like squids and octopus. So the cephalopods. And they looked... A lot like the living cephalopod nautilus. So if you know what that is, it looks like a squid with a shell on its back. But we'll talk more about nautilus later and more about it next week. We'll do an episode on nautilus because they're so cool and it goes really well with this episode too. So yeah, I'm really excited for that episode next week to kind of tie it in. Yeah, we can do sort of like a, you know, we start with the prehistoric and then go into the the current. Although nautilus are actually more ancestral than the the ammonites were, but we'll get into that later. Wow. Right now, I want to talk about the ammonite shells because they're really, really interesting. So ammonite had a classic tightly coiled circular shape, but ammonoids had a huge variety of different shapes and sizes. Some had like a long spear-like shell. Others had shells that were kind of shaped like a paperclip, like they're long and then bent over on the end. Some of them were like long and then kind of curly just like a paper clip and others were folded it was they're really weird and I saw another one that was like kind of coiled but it was sort of in the shape of like a lowercase g with the coil in sort of the circular part of the g and it comes down and curls up very weird and there's also one that looks like a pile of rope like the shell has just sort of bent in a million different directions and a lot of them look really impractical so It made sense when I read that apparently some evolutionary scientists around 1900 thought that the ammonites had like terrible genetics. Like they just had a really bad gene pool because they had all these mutations and they figured out that must have ultimately led to their extinction. But 
that isn't true. They were uh, very diverse and just happened to be able to live with these shapes. I mean, evolution sort of gave them a reason to have that shape. So it's just, they looked weird. Yeah, as soon as you started saying that, I was like, it sounds really cool, but I don't know what the point of any of that would be. Like, Yeah, they're, they look like trumpets <laughs> or trombones. Yeah, I feel like I've definitely seen some of these, yeah, like the paperclip looking one and everything. Very cool. But mm-hmm. I'm wondering like how big they can get because I feel like I think of them as having a really big range in size, but mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true. Oh, definitely. It's like you can have those ones that would like, speaking of jewelry, like fit on a ring, but they could get really, really big. I mean, some of these museum specimens are enormous and they like take up a whole corner of the museum. Like they're beautiful. And their shells, like the ones that were really long, like the the paperclip ones, they look like they could get like a few feet long. So definitely big variation there. I can't imagine something like that, like swimming through the ocean I guess back then there was just a lot of that going on (laughs) there's a lot of big stuff yeah I wouldn't want to be swimming in those oceans so with the shell could they like retract themselves fully into the shell no so if you imagine one of these ammonites that's cut in half and you look at the shell you can see that it's got compartments so you've got this helix shape and it's split into larger and larger compartments as the coil goes outwards So ammonites grew throughout their lives. Unlike hermit crabs, they weren't stealing other creatures' shells as they needed a bigger home or anything. So that's why you've got these separated compartments. And the actual fleshy body of the ammonite was located in the largest compartment at the end of the shell. And it was connected to the rest of the shell by a tube that ran along the outer edge and sort of coiled itself in. And that tube would bring gases into the rest of the shell. And those compartments provided buoyancy for the ammonite to maintain sort of a neutral buoyancy in the water. So the shell itself was sort of the piece of the ammonite that was floating upwards and you with the head and the tentacles at the bottom. And so that's one of the reasons for this compartmentalized shell, but also it added to the strength, most likely, is what they think anyway. Oh, so so I was imagining them more like the tentacle parts would sort of be straight out to the left if they're going through the water and then the shell would be like sticking out to the right but it's actually like the shells on top and the tentacle parts are like hanging out the bottom yeah yeah exactly okay it's like a little hot air balloon but in the water (laughs) you've got like the round part on top just floating around oh that's cute (laughs) that makes more (laughs) sense too Because I was thinking, like, wouldn't the shell be heavy? But if it's... Yeah, that's what you think, right? Yeah. But if it's like a... If it's a buoyancy thing, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... Very cool. Very similar to the Nautilus, which also swims that way. But, yeah, so Mm -hmm. when ammonites fossilize, we usually only see the shell part because fleshy material doesn't fossilize well. That's why we don't often get things like mummified dinosaurs. So... We don't really know what they looked like apart from the shell and maybe some like jaw type material, but I'll talk about that later. When the shell does fossilize, it can either fossilize the actual shell or you can end up with a cast of the inner part of the shell. And the fossils with the inner part of the shell will often show the sutures in the shell. And sutures are really beautiful. They're these layers, I guess, that kind of look like puzzle pieces fitting together. So they're, I guess the suture itself is like kind of like a crack 
but we have them in like our skull. There's skull sutures and that just shows where two pieces came together. And in a lot of cases, they look a little bit like like leaves to me. They're really pretty. And I, I noticed them on my ammonite necklace, but I thought they were like a gem formation. I didn't realize that they were actually a mold of what was happening on the inside of the shell. So that was kind of an interesting fact for me to learn. And these growth lines are really helpful indicators to those who are trying to figure out what species of ammonite this is. So particularly for those who are trying to date stuff or use the ammonite species as a reference, that's a really important feature to know. So I figured it was worth mentioning and we'll have to post some pictures of it so people can get an idea of what those look like because they're they're just pretty. I don't know how else to describe it. And where can you find ammonite fossils? Like you mentioned Alberta and Madagascar, but Are they kind of specific? Are they all over? They're all over the place. So they can be found anywhere where an ocean once existed. So there's a bit of a hot spot in Alberta where the Bear Posse once was. Like I said, Madagascar. But you can also find them in like the Himalayas, Antarctica, like all over. (laughs) So yeah, very abundant. Wow. And when were they around I love I love talking about this part because it's so interesting to me. The the ammonites are one of those groups that put things kind of in perspective for me in terms of time. So ammonites were highly diverse, and about ten thousand species have been identified so far. So we're talking a lot of species, and in terms of when they lived, the earliest members of their lineage seem to appear around four hundred sixteen million years ago. So really, really, really long time ago. And they existed until 65 million years ago, which is when... So if you do want to guess what happened then. Is that when the dinosaurs went extinct? Yeah, it's it's the 65 million year mark where everything just died, basically, in summary. Love that. (laughs) Um, So these animals were around for longer than the dinosaurs were. They were even there longer than the combined time between the entire existence of the dinosaurs and today. So just a crazy amount of time. And this group of creatures that we will never see, but which shared this planet for so long, just, yeah, they all just went extinct, which is crazy to me. Like there's this whole group of animals that we will never know, but they were here for longer than us. Anyway, blows my mind. Way, way longer than us. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Just a crazy amount longer. So Anyway, (laughs) getting back to it, they lived through three mass extinctions, and that included the Permian extinction, which killed like 96% of life in the oceans. So they were really tough. And this extinction still managed to kill off many of the ammonoid species, but enough managed to survive to carry on and diversify the lineage. Eventually, though, that asteroid came and just like demolished everything and they didn't survive that. But what did survive was that Nautilus lineage, which I was talking about before, those cephalopods. Wow. So how did they manage to survive that? So it's still a little bit of a mystery, but what's thought is that ammonite hatchlings, we think fed on plankton closer to the surface of the water which is unlike nautilus hatchlings, which fed closer to the bottom of the ocean. So when the asteroid hit, it changed the chemical composition of the water and acidified the oceans. And acidification's worst effects were felt near the surface of the water. So it's likely that ammonites were just 
not in a good place for that situation. Maybe their food source declined rapidly or they couldn't handle the acidification themselves. Researchers have been able to test the chemical composition of the ammonite shells that were deposited around the KPG extinction line. So that's the 65 million years ago line. And they can get an idea of what the environment those animals were living in might have been like to gain clues to sort of understand this mystery a bit better. But yeah, that's kind of one of the theories as to why. Hmm. So getting back to before the Ammonites were wiped out, what do we know about what they were like and how they behaved when they were alive? It's thought that they probably had jet propulsion similar to the Nautilus today. So they sort of have like a little jet thing under their tentacles that just sort of pushes water in and out and that's how they move. Some rare fossils even have some remains of food inside that have indicated they probably ate plankton and small crustaceans, maybe even other ammonites. And there have also been some remains of ink found on some of these fossils. So it's possible they also squirted ink like octopus and squids today. So that's another theory that's out there. And we also are pretty sure that they lived in open water areas based on where the fossils are found. But yeah, beyond the possible ink sac, maybe some traces of digestive organs, virtually nothing has been found to their soft bodies. So lots and lots of mystery around like what their tentacles looked like, how it was all arranged. I mentioned earlier that some possible jaw parts have been preserved. So these are called aptichi. <laughs> it's a kind of a funny looking word, aptichi. Aptichai, and they look a bit like two rounded pieces, and they're sometimes found near ammonoids, so it's thought that they're maybe part of the ammonoids that fossilized as well. But yeah, what exactly they are remains up for debate. They might be part of the jaw structure, maybe they're meant for swimming, or maybe they act like trapdoors to close the ammonoids into their shell. Not really sure. Yeah, it's cool that there's so much mystery around it. There's still a lot left to figure out. And especially considering how many fossils there are, it's amazing to me that there wasn't, there hasn't been like a freak occasion where you had like a perfect like tracing of what its body looked like. But I guess if you've ever felt a squid, it feels like it's going to dissolve in your hands. Like I, I can see how that would never fossilize. It's like the least solid substance. <laughs> <laughs> so did they have any predators while they were alive? They probably did, although we aren't totally sure what. Some ammonites have been found with round holes in their shell, which are probably mosasaur bite marks. So a mosasaur probably came up and like bit the ammonoid and sucked the inside out and left the rest to fall to the bottom of the ocean. So it's kind of like escargot. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, again, not super sure, but there has been evidence of it. Oh, I love any mosasaur reference. Mosasaurs are so cool. I just... I'm amazed that something like that lived in the oceans and also terrified. Yeah. I think paleo ocean stuff is honestly like the coolest. I think there's like a free Coursera course you can take about ancient marine reptiles uh, through the U of A. So if anyone's interested, I think it's free to anyone. Yeah. There's also Dino 101, but it's like associated. It's like a mini course. Well, thank you so much, Olivia. I definitely learned a lot more about ammonites, but I also feel better because it sounds like not a ton is known about them. So maybe that's why I didn't know a lot about them. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we learned that they have these really spectacular shells that were quite unique and helped with buoyancy and that they're also everywhere. So they can really help paleontologists to figure out what age group they're looking at. And so thank you for ammonites in that sense. (laughs) 
Yeah, and we also learned that they can be huge, which I always think is fascinating, especially with ocean stuff. If anyone's seen a Nautilus, like, I mean, we'll talk about this next week, but I I remember seeing them for the first time and I was like, that is the weirdest looking thing I have ever seen. I just, <laughs> I couldn't get over how bizarre it was, but. Yeah, so everyone should make sure they tune in next week when we talk about the Nautilus. If you're a new listener, please leave us a rating and review. We'd really, really appreciate it. And don't forget to subscribe. If you want to stay up to date and also take fun quizzes, make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Beyond Blathers. Tune in next week to learn more about the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. Bye! Bye! Bye!